0: document the splendor of the middle of the Grand Canyon that few ever see because it's not visible from the rim above or from the water below should you go boating through the river. Now the Grand Canyon measures 277 miles from end to end, but the problem is, is you can't just go walking straight through. And these guys wound up walking about 800 miles when you take into account the changes of elevation and the ups and the downs and the 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 trails that don't go straight through, but they go over and around. Some areas they had had to they were so tight and so confined they had to just squeeze through. And in other instances, they had to crawl uh, to get through the space that was before them. In some areas, the the trail was so high; one misstep, one narrow trail misstep would cause them to fall over 5,000 feet to their death. And so as I say, the most challenging part of the whole thing was to carve out those routes. So few in the history of of time have navigated this majestic canyon from end to end. There there is no trail. There's no established place uh, to walk. And so the difficulty then is to, to find that terrain. And in many places, it has to be carved out through ingenuity and even grit and determination. But one thing McBride and Fadarko proved in their successful navigation and documentation from one end of the canyon to the other is this. No matter how impossible the odds, and no matter how rough the terrain, there is always a path. And that's my title today. There is always a path. I want to read a verse of scripture from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 16. Beautiful promise of God I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not, I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. One translation says, These things will I do and not leave them undone. I want you to know today, there is always a path. There is always a path. The words that I've read to you this morning from the prophet Isaiah, as he was moved on by the Holy Ghost, are messianic in nature. They speak of the coming of the Messiah, which would happen hundreds of years in the future, to gain this context then of the prophecy, we would need to go back and read really starting at chapter 40. Chapter 40 represents a, a break point in the book of Isaiah, and we kind of pick up a new thought and a new idea in, verse four, or in chapter 40, and we read forward then, and we get the context of what Isaiah is saying. And if, if you were to start in chapter 40, you would read such oft-quoted text as this, the voice of him... That cried in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Of course, of course, talking about John the Baptist. You, you'll read, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain shall be made low. You'll read one that we love to quote, and you've heard preached many times, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And I want to encourage you this week sometime, because I don't have time to read it in your hearing today. Go back and read Isaiah chapter forty. Verses 10 through 31, and you'll be reminded of the splendor and the matchless power of God. And you'll see that He really does have the entire world in His grasp, and that He has history and the future in His control. And nothing happens that He does not orchestrate or ordain. It will build your faith. In that consummate passage of Isaiah 40, concludes by telling us this, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Beautiful promises, but more than that, beautiful prophecies of what was to come. And when we move forward in the text and come forward to Isaiah Chapter 42. On one level, the prophet is speaking to the exiles of Israel, exiles saying that there will be a day when they will return to their land. And even though they can't see it, even though they can't imagine how that would happen, God would bring it to pass. But we know, not only in the light of history, but prophetically as we read through the scriptures, that these are prophetic words of the coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his church we we don't have to look any further than the book of Matthew who tells us in no uncertain terms in chapter 12 of his gospel by quoting some of these very passages found in the book of Isaiah but the bottom line is this no one could imagine no one could see how the plan of God for redemption would unfold it was as though they had blinders on not in their greatest imagination could anyone have understood that God would humble himself and come to earth as the man, Christ Jesus. And what I want you to know is this, that is just as surely as he fulfilled redemption's plan in the world, just as surely as he fulfilled the prophecy that salvation would come out of Zion, then so surely he has a divine plan for your life and it will be brought to pass. I'm telling you today, regardless of world conditions, regardless of what is going on with a pandemic, regardless of what is happening in the economy, I want you to know, regardless of whatever you are facing personally in your life, I want to assure you today that God has a plan not only for his church globally, but he has a plan for you individually. And he never leaves you with a way, without a way out. He never leaves you with the chips down and no way of escape. There may be perilous terrain, there may be rocky roads, but in his providence and in his provision, there is always a path forward. He specializes in making a way forward where there seems to be no way. He, he will lead in paths, the Bible says, that I read today. He'll lead in paths that we didn't even know about, paths we couldn't even see, ways that we had no idea would materialize. He specializes in leading us in those paths, and the Bible says He will never leave us or forsake us. It's an incredible promise. It's a it's a, it's a cherished promise. It's, it's one you need to get a hold of today and put down in your spirit and put down in your life and, and see through the eyes of faith that God always has a path. Today, I want to touch on three distinct pathways that God provides for us in our lives. The first is a path of rescue. God always provides a path I want to take you to Exodus chapter 14 today. This is the great story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And we we pick up this story. They've been enslaved by the Egyptians for centuries. And God has called Moses to be their their deliverer. And after all the plagues and all the things that went on to bring about the, the release, for Pharaoh to release these Israelites... They make their big break, and they get away from Egypt on the night that the death angel passed over. And they walk out of Egypt, and they walk right into a trap. The Red Sea is in front of them with no way to cross. You're talking about millions and millions of people. Pharaoh has changed his mind about letting them go, and he's bearing down on them from from back, from behind. And on either side then is the wilderness, the Bible says very clearly. There's no way out. There's nowhere to take six million people and see them rescued and see them brought safely through this situation. What I would have you notice is verse 2 of Exodus chapter 14, where God tells Moses, he says, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and encamp. And I'm not going to read those geographical names because I can't pronounce them. But notice that God told Moses said take the children of Israel have them in camp before it shall you encamp by the sea. They were here because they had been obedient to what God told them to do. They were exactly where God told them to be. And it was a hopeless situation. He's the one that told them to, to go there, to encamp there, and they were just obeying. Why would God do that? Why would He put them in such a jam? Why would He put them in such hardship? Did He not care? Was He, was He going to weed them out? Was there some that He wanted to destroy? Well, ultimately there was, but, but at this point, no. It was none of those things. The scripture tells us why God, this was no accident. I want you to understand, this was no accident. This didn't just happen by chance that they wandered out of Egypt and came to the Red Sea with nowhere to go. This was all orchestrated by God's plan. Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, the last part of that verse, God says very plainly, He says, I'm doing this that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. God put the Israelites in this situation with the sole purpose of demonstrating his power and making his lordship known to the enemy. Israel's situation wasn't even about them at this moment. God was working a much bigger purpose. He was working a much bigger plan. And and so what I want you to know today is that God is not going to let you down in your situation. He hasn't forgotten about you, what what you're facing today, whether it be fears of what's going on in the world or whether it's something very personal. I want you to know He's not brought you to this place to destroy you. He's not brought you to this place to die. In fact, where you are today may not even be about you. It's about Him and His purposes it's about what he's trying to accomplish in your life and in the earth and if his reputation is on the line what makes you think he's going to let you perish i believe that god always has a path so in this predicament that the israelites find themselves in god told moses or moses told the people rather in verse 14 of chapter 14 he says the lord will fight for you and that's what I want you to know today the lord will fight for you and he also told them by the way to, to hush their mouth to put it nicely if you go back and read told them to shut up but that's another sermon for another time he said the lord shall fight for you and god caused the wind to blow all night long from the east the bible says and opened up that that red sea and they had a path through the sea on dry ground. Going back to Isaiah, he describes the, he describes that miracle like this. He says, art thou not it which hath tried the sea, the waters of the great deep that hath made the depths of, a, of the sea a way or a path for the ransom to pass over? Uh, Again in Isaiah 43, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a path or a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinct, they are quenched as tow. God brought them through that day because He made a path where there seemed to be no path. I want you to know today, God always has a path. He always has the final say. And I want to encourage you today. You may have hopeless circumstance today. I know today that we're getting to a place in the economy where, where, there, where there's uncertainty. And I've, I've talked to some that, that have even been laid off and lost their jobs. And I'm praying for you every day. I pray for you, those that have, that have communicated that. And I want you to know that God is your source. God is your supply. My God shall supply all of your need according to your riches and glory. And it may seem hopeless today. Your back may be against the wall on, a, on an uncertain economy, an uncertain job situation, but there is always a path. God always has a way. God always makes a way where there is no way. If you believe that today, why don't you clap your hands right where you are? I'll never forget one of the most hopeless situations we've ever experienced in our life. We had, Dawson had been diagnosed with leukemia in 2016, early that year. Later that year, the floods of 2016 destroyed our house, and we moved to Memphis. And that was in order to kind of reestablish ourselves, get our footing, get Dawson near the health care he needed. And that had run its course. It had been right at 12 months or so that we had been in Memphis, lonely, alone, seemed there was no way out. And I'll tell you now, in hindsight, in retrospect, we we had looked at our finances, the finances were running out, The, 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 the housing situation that we had established there, there was a change we knew that needed to be made there in some way, didn't know what that looked like. We were again very lonely, very lonesome, missing home, um, j- just a, a hundred things that were going on in that time. there were job, job dynamics that were going on, some pressures there and It seemed like a hopeless situation. There really was no path forward. I, I used all the ingenuity I could. Fair and I met numerous times talking about it, looking at the finances, looking at plans We, we rode all over Memphis, looking for housing, tried, tried to come up with something. And there just was not a path forward. There was just no way out. I couldn't see what we could possibly do to get out of that situation. Our, our back was against the wall. And that Sunday morning, we'd come home that weekend to visit our, our friends and family. We'd come to church here at Grace Church that Sunday morning. And Billy Thornton came up to me and he said, he said prophetically in the Holy Ghost, he said, I see an end to your storm." And, and I took that word, and I received it, and I put it in my spirit. And I'm, I'm having to hurry here. I'm, I'm making a long story very short. But, but what we did is we, we, we held on to that promise. We held on to that word. We prayed it. And I'm telling you here as I stand, within 30 days, Farrah got a call from her previous employer here in Baton Rouge, and they said, we got a job for you, and we need you to start like right now. And, I, and that started a chain of events that over just the course of the next couple of weeks, things began to fall in place and and things began to open up. And within 30 days' time, we had closed up shop in Memphis and we'd moved back home. Job situations opened up, provision was there, God made a way. And I'm telling you, since then, over the last three years, we have experienced one move of God after the other in our life. We've experienced one miracle after the other, one sense of provision after the other. When I look back, from this point of view to then, I'm, my breath is taken away because I see where God charted a path where there was no path. I see where he made a way where there was no way. Human ingenuity couldn't orchestrate it. I couldn't carve it out on my own. But with God, nothing is impossible. My God shall supply all of your need. According to your riches and glory. And so I'm tell- that's why I can tell you today when it comes to economy, when it comes to health, when it comes to relationships. I don't have to spin it, I don't have to hope that I'm getting it right. I don't have to pretend. I know what God can do because I've seen him do it. And I know what God will do because He did for you because He did it for me. I know that the Lord will fight your battles in Jesus name. Let me hurry on. God always provides a path of rescue. Let me hurry. In a day in which evil and iniquity continue to wax worse and worse, there is always a path of righteousness. Psalms 23.3 says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now the scripture tells us that the kingdom of God is righteousness, Peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. But that first part is the kingdom of God is righteousness. Jesus instructed us, said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So these two scriptures then in my mind, and my study, link the idea of the kingdom of God and righteousness. So I would say today that righteousness is not only a path to the kingdom of God, I would say that Righteousness, That righteous path is the kingdom of God. And so today, if you're a blood-bought child of God, if you've been purchased by His blood, redeemed, called out to be His church, and walking in that pathway of righteousness, I want you to know you're in a good place. You're in the right place. You're, you're in a place of provision, a, pay, a pathway of protection. It's a place where the Holy Ghost overshadows you and walks with you. It's a place and a path where even when you walk through the valley of death, you'll fear no evil. Notice how the book of Proverbs so beautifully echoes that from Psalms 23. It says, In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. If you're in the path of righteousness, Psalms 23 also tells us it's a place of assurance that God is with you to comfort you even in the presence of your enemies. And Psalms five eight also echoes this theme. Lead me, O Lord, in Thy righteousness, because of mine enemies. Make my way straight before. Make Thy way straight before my face. Psalms twenty three tells us that when we're in the path of righteousness, we're on a path where uh, anointing we will find, and our cup will run over with blessing and goodness, and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Also echoed in Psalms eighty five, righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the ways of his steps. I want you to know there is always a path of righteousness. But here's the thing. The scriptures say, few there be that find it. It's not always the obvious path. It's not always the clear path. It's it's not always the crowded path. This path we're on, this path of righteousness, we walk in it because we've been called to it, because we found it, because God is with us. And in finding it, it is incumbent upon us to stay the course. And I encourage you today as you walk, In the provision and mercies of God, stay the course. If you're discouraged today, if you've you've been tempted to leave the path, if if for some reason you feel that maybe it's not working for you anymore for some reason, I want to tell you, put that thought aside and stay on the path of righteousness. Psalms 1-6 says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish this this path of life is a good thing it's a right path it's a true path it's the only path and I encourage you today stay the course and let God guide you with his love and everything will be okay in the end I'm not saying everything will be good always I'm not saying everything will always be right but I will say this that all things will work together for ultimate good on this path of righteousness and so now I want to get to my, to my message this evening, or this morning rather. What do you do if you're not on the path of righteousness? Or you've been on it once before and now you've left it. Well, God's got a path and a provision for you as well. The third path, we'll spend the balance of my time on today, is a path of redemption. A path of redemption. By any measure, by any measure. It's one of the greatest stories ever told. It's a parable that Jesus used to demonstrate the unfathomable love of God. You can parse the story any way you choose, and it remains noteworthy. I've studied in, at times and back in school, I studied great works of literature, and the professor had to admit that some of those were simply creative retellings of the story. ...of the prodigal son. On a theological level, I've heard it preached and taught every way you can imagine from every angle... ...and the story still has more to give. It seems like this one parable is inexhaustible in its coverage of biblical truth. A certain man had two sons, the Bible says, Jesus said. A certain man has two son- had two sons, and there he begins... Walking us through a story how the youngest son asked the father prematurely for his inheritance. And there he took it. And the Bible says, Jesus says in the passage that he gathered up his belongings and he took his inheritance. And he went to a far country. And there he wasted that inheritance with what the Bible calls riotous living. Riotous living is just the opposite of righteous living. Riotous versus righteous living. And this young man winds up in a famine with a farmer feeding swine. I thought that was a pretty good line. I came up with that one myself. A famine with a farmer feeding swine. And his situation is so bad, he's sunk so low. It's a famine. He's lost everything. He's feeding these pigs, wishing he had something to eat himself. And he comes to himself, Jesus says. He has a realization. He has a moment of truth. And I believe, at least for purposes of this message, that the entire story hinges on what he says to himself in verse 19. Really, verse 18 and 19. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him. Now, notice what he says. This He's talking to himself. This is what he's planning to say when he goes back home. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Very important what he says here. Notice his expectations are so low. His sin weighing down so heavy on him. A situation so desperate, no way out, as we just talked about. There is no answer. There's no path forward. But he thought that maybe by chance, I could be a servant in my father's household. I want you to let that sink in. Let, let, let the weight. Uh, put yourself in that situation for a moment. He's saying, there, there's really no hope for me. There's, there's no way that I can get what I had before. I, I don't deserve restoration. I don't deserve any kind of redemption because I've messed up my life so bad. I've, I've ruined my fortunes forever. Maybe on some off chance I could become a servant in my father's house. But to his credit, he makes the journey back. He takes that pathway back. It's a path of uncertainty of the unknown. He has no idea how he's going to be received. And Jesus tells us in the story that when that son, that, that prodigal was still way, way off in the distance. I, in my mind, I think of it as just a speck on the horizon. That that father saw him, running, saw him coming and the Bible says he ran to him. And him. Now, the Bible doesn't say, Jesus didn't say that there was a path there that the father ran down. He could have been running through an open field for all I know. But in my imagination and in my mind, I see a path. I always have. Every time I've ever heard the story from Sunday school times, I, I would imagine almost a lane or a street, if you will. And I see this father running down that, that street, that path with all of his might to embrace the son and have compassion on him. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. Luke 15:21. Luke 15:21. When the Father gets to the Son and embraces Him, the Son launches into that speech that He had prepared for the Father. He says, immediately. I, I, I don't see that there's really any other greeting that happens. He, he's probably crying at this point and weeping. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in Thy sight and am no more worthy to be called Your Son. Now we know from the story that he had intended to go into that whole can I be made one of the hired servant part of the speech. He never got there. He never got that far. I believe he intended to say it. I believe that was the option he was going to put on the table. But the father interrupts him. And he hears, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to call your son. And he recognizes repentance. And he stops him right there and says, that's enough. That's enough. The next verse, we find the father bringing a robe, bringing shoes and a ring, and he throws this elaborate celebration in this part. And he says, this my son, who once was lost, has been restored. We're going to celebrate. We're going to restore him. We're going to put him back to his rightful place, he can be a son again, he's got the royal robe, he's got the ring of authority. And So where that prodigal saw a path of destruction, and at best a path to servanthood at the father's house, the father saw then a path of redemption, a path of royalty, a path of restoration to family position. I want you to know there's always a path of restoration. Always a path of redemption. There's an old Puritan saying that goes like this. There is a way to hell that goes very near the gates of heaven. There is a way to heaven that goes very near the gates of hell. Now the first line would be another sermon for another time. But I want you to really, someone today, get a hold of that second line. There is a way to heaven that goes very near the gates of hell. What does that mean? What is the, what is the proverb getting at? I'll explain it like this. There was a, a middle-aged man many years ago in the mid-90s. That And unlike the parable that Jesus told, this is a true story. He had contracted AIDS through the lifestyle that he had chosen. And back then... They didn't have the drug therapies and treatments that are available now for that horrible disease. and So this guy had a death sentence on his life and he knew it. He wanted to get right with God before he died. and So he made his way to our little church in Baker there. And when the altar appeal was given that Sunday, he shuffled down to the altar. He was a walking skeleton, a mask of pain and sickness. And his complexion was that of a dying man. And all of us, for our part, we didn't want to get too close to him, but, but Pastor met this man running practically at the altar and laid hands on him, embraced him. And in just a few moments, that man received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. Later, if I remember the time frame, he might have been baptized first, but I believe it was later, Pastor went to his house and baptized him in Jesus' name. And it wasn't too many weeks later That this man slipped out into eternity, a casualty of the disease in his body. But his soul, his soul went to that eternal reward with Jesus. Full of the Holy Spirit, stamped with the name of Jesus Christ. How can that be? It's because there is a way to heaven that leads very near the gates of hell. It's because that before any road that you're on that leads to an eternity without God, before that road comes to an end, the Father is standing there just hoping you'll hear His call. And you may be watching today, joining us today and be on a path that if you're being really honest has taken you a little nearer the gates of hell, than you'd really care to admit. Your decisions and your lifestyle up to this point have systematically taken you one step at a time down a path. And and as you look up and begin to analyze it, you're not really sure how you got there and what you're even doing in that place. But in that place, I see the Father not standing, running, running down that path to meet you. He's got another opportunity for you to receive Mercy and forgiveness, restoration, to, to feel that embrace of the Father once again. He wants to turn that path you're on into a path of redemption. Oh, I want somebody to, to know today, you haven't been gone too long. You haven't made the ultimate mistake. You haven't, you haven't gone too far. The Father is still calling and beckoning, and more than that, He's running. And He just wants you to feel His warm embrace. It's an embrace of redemption. It's a, an embrace of grace. It's an embrace of forgiveness. And if you will run to Him, I assure you, He will run to you. It's a path of redemption. I'm going to ask the praise team to come to come back, and if you are where you are, if you would stand with me today. I've been very, very burdened with this message. I actually felt some deal of resistance this morning and normally that means I take that to mean that if it, the, the it, it was not in the spirit world it was not something that was wanted to be preached and I feel so strong and so compelled that it that it had to be preached that it must be preached today and I believe that there's someone many someones that are watching today and and, and you just, you, you wanted the lifeline that was thrown to you today. You, you were hoping for, for, for something, some sort of, of word of hope, some word of lifeline that could be given to you today. And I want you to know you found it. You found it in the opportunity to talk to your Father, to talk to God today. And this is the thing that's churning in my spirit that's really, really given me pause. And it's, it's really what's compelled me to, to preach this today. When you look at the current events, and I've I've preached already this morning how I I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the church is going to be triumphant and God is going to have the last say. There's no question about all of that. But but the headlines and the the world events are screaming at us in such a way, and they're they're moving at such a rapid pace that it's really hard to dismiss or to deny the momentous times that we're in. I want you to consider that in, in addition to the COVID-19 situation that is mind-boggling in its scope in and of itself, the fact that it's worldwide just boggles the mind. And then what it's done economically, and, and then that dovetailed into problems in the oil market. And then, I don't know if you noticed, the, the, the news has been so focused in one area, but if you go back and look, the, uh, the week, really, that, that COVID came to the United States and we began our lockdown, there was a, a fairly powerful earthquake in Salt Lake City, did some damage in that city. Uh, a few days later, there was another earthquake off of the coast, and they actually had thrown a, a, a tsunami, tsunami warning up. Thankfully, that didn't materialize. We see the countries of Israel and Russia and China dominating the headlines, and and Israel, when, when they moved the embassy to Israel and recognized Jerusalem as the capital city, everybody said, any Bible student told us, said, that's prophetic in its consequences. And now they're talking about pestilence. There's a, this, this deal with the locusts that are ravaging parts of Africa. These are, these are ideas, these are events of biblical proportions. They're, they're momentous in, in their import. And one or two, three or four on their own, you you might have cause to dismiss them. You might have reason to say, well, this happens in cycles and it's happened in history before. But when you take them all together and you put them all in one big prophetic gumbo, if you will, the headlines are screaming at us and Jesus is trying to get our attention. And here's what I believe He's saying. I believe He's saying that we have this window of time he's carved out a window of opportunity and he's saying this he's saying whatever you're going to do now is the time to do it if 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 you were planning to get your heart right with god now's the time to do it if you were planning to work for god and do something for the kingdom now's the time to get busy doing that. If you plan to, to build an altar and wrap your arms around the cross of Jesus Christ, now is the time to do it. If you're planning on making some changes in your, in your home life and in your, your commitment as a family, now's the time to be busy about the Father's business. This is the time. Now it is high time, the Bible says in one place, to wake out of our sleep. So the appeal today is this. Is I want you to make your calling and election sure. If you're if you're already f- just firmly uh, ensconced on that road of righteousness, then make your calling and election sure. Renew your commitment to that. If if you're in a place where you need deliverance, God's there to do that for you too. But if you're on a road that's taking you apart from God and away from God, today you have a tremendous chance to get right with God. As they sing, as they begin to sing softly, would you pray? If you're, if you're comfortable in the setting you're in uh, with, with your perhaps your family, if you feel comfortable to, to, to touch someone on the shoulder or grab their hand, if you're not, that's okay too. But if your dynamic allows for that, would you begin to pray for one another right now? Would you pray? Let's call out to God right now. come on that's it right where you are right where you are come on you've got a father that's standing there with open arms he wants to redeem you he wants to save you he wants you to put to put you on a path back to the father's house come on there's restoration there's redemption there's salvation there's healing there's forgiveness there's mercy Oh, would you entertain the presence of God right now? We're feeling after the presence of God. God's by no means finished with this service. He's just started. Come on, He's moving to those that are sensitive to His Spirit. He's moving for those that can hear His voice. Hallelujah. 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 In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus, name. In Jesus' name. I feel very strongly in prayer this week to do this. I just believe that there's somebody watching today, and, and you've heard the word of the Lord, you've enjoyed the presence of God, and today you would really like to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is the, the infilling of God's Spirit in your life the receiving of His Spirit. And so just in two minutes or less, I'm going to walk you through how to receive the Holy Ghost. And then I'm going to pray with you. And I believe the Holy Ghost is going to fall right where you're at. And I believe we're going to hear reports back of people getting filled with the Holy Ghost today. So let's do that today. The Bible says that when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that they were all in one mind and one accord. They were unified. They had unity of purpose and they were seeking God. The Holy Ghost fell. And the people all around them heard them speaking in other tongues as the Holy Ghost gave the utterance. And so they asked Peter, the apostle, they said, what is this? What's going on? And Peter in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 declared very unequivocally, he said, this is for everybody. It's not just for these 120. It's not just for Jews and it's not just for Gentiles. It's for everybody. And they said, Peter, how can we receive the Holy Ghost? And he unlocked the door for everybody for all time to come. And he said this, all you have to do is repent. Say, God, I'm sorry for my lifestyle. Sorry for what I've done. And I ask that you would forgive me. And then you just say, God, I want you to fill me up with your spirit. I want to be your child. And when you do that, you begin to worship him. You begin to praise him and His Spirit gets poured into your life. And all of a sudden, out of your mouth will come a heavenly language that you didn't practice, you don't know, you've never spoken before. But that is the external evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. If that's you today, and if that's what you're seeking, pray with me right now, and God is going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Are you ready? Lord, right where I stand, I repent of every sin. Anything that's caused me to be apart from You, anything that's broken that relationship with You, I repent. I'm sorry. And I ask for Your forgiveness today, Jesus. Now, Jesus, I'm just praying You'd fill me with the Holy Ghost. I'm praying that Your Spirit would birth in me and out of my belly would flow rivers of living water and that I could speak in that heavenly tongue in Jesus' name. Now, would you worship the Lord? Would you worship the Lord? Receive ye the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus Christ come on the Holy Ghost is falling right now the Spirit of God is falling right now in Jesus name in Jesus name come on just worship Him right now you're feeling the Holy Ghost right now you're feeling Him fill you up right now come on let it come out of your mouth don't worry about what it sounds like Don't worry that it's a tongue you don't know. It's the presence of God. It's the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. That's the Father filling you. That's the Father redeeming you. That's the Father restoring you. Come on. There's always a path to being filled with the Holy Ghost. There's always a path with being filled with the presence of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worship Him right now. Worship Him right now. Come on, if you have the Holy Ghost, pray with somebody nearby you that doesn't have it. Come on, lay hands on them and say in Jesus' name, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's it. That's it. Come on, somebody's receiving it right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship right now. Create an environment of worship where the Holy Ghost can flow into.